Welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Rachel Vindman, whose life changed overnight when her husband, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, testified at, well, he who shall not be named's first impeachment hearing. We talked about the good, the bad, and, you know, the surprisingly wonderful things that happen when your life goes from private to public overnight. I was inspired by Rachel's honesty, her fortitude, and positivity. Also, she's a sister in snark, which made me love her more. We also bake my mom's blonde brownies together. Please enjoy. Okay, welcome, Rachel Vinman, to The Secret Life of Cookies. It is such a pleasure to have you here um, baking in our respective kitchens uh, today. Um, We're we're making my mother's blonde brownies, which you can call your own Mm -hmm. blonde brownies. Are you a big baker? (laughs) Yes, I am, probably to my detriment, especially during the pandemic. But um, I love to bake. I find it very soothing and um, it's one of my favorite things. So I was very excited when you asked me to be on your podcast. And I was likewise excited that you agreed to be on the podcast. So it's a mutual admiration society here. (laughs) You um, yourself became a national name sort of unwittingly, I might guess, uh, when your husband... um, also became a national name, possibly unwillingly. Um, your husband, mm-hmm. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander <laughs> Vindman, who had some things to say during the impeachment trial um, because he happened to be on a phone call that happened to be with the Ukrainian president and a man named, I think, Donald Trump. Yes, I believe. Um, I have to go back and check. Um, perhaps we could Google, but yeah. Yeah, and I think in that some- That is the case, I believe. <laughs> And in some places, I've seen you describe yourself, which I think is brilliant, and I hope you still do, as a national security hobbyist. Yeah, I have no training, so it's really important to know that. Um, I joke that everything I know about Russia, I learned from working in a Russian kindergarten, which is 100% the truth. But, you know, you learn a lot about people, and uh, I think I'm a good um, judge of people, and it was a nice reflection into society. We had different, you know, most of the employees were from a different class than uh, it was an English speaking kindergarten. So the parents were typically very wealthy and it was just a, a fascinating view into modern Russian society. And actually I almost put this on Twitter today because people are talking about Russia and the new sanctions. But one of the things, one of the most telling things I was ever told I was more or less a volunteer at the school because I wanted something to do. And this is why your husband was situated in Russia. And stationed in Moscow. Yes, okay. he was stationed in Moscow. So a lot of the teachers, though, they were native English speakers. And there was a time when there was some pay issues. So I went to lobby on behalf of my colleagues who needed to be paid. And I went in and um, the accountant was being a, a little difficult. And I said, you know, this is just not okay. You have to pay people when they work. That's how life works. And um, more naively, I guess I think that and I was told we can have a school without teachers. We can't have a school without an accountant. <laughs> so that's Russia. And it, because it's not, it's not what they said, it's the absurdity of it, right? That you can have a school without teachers. 
and that's just kind of Russia in a nutshell. Like, you know, two, two plus two is not always four. It just doesn't add up the way you think it does. And um, so, yeah, my, my hobbyist, I guess, insight is into uh, a lot of human nature and human behavior, I guess. But please don't take anything I say and make policy out of it. <laughs> I won't, but those sorts of insights okay. are the best kind of insights. I mean, the best way to have an insight into a whole culture. Cause I think, I mean, I know in this country, the way you see parents act in um, when they're around their children or what matters to them for their children. In other words, school, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that normal people become a little, I mean, what were the parents like? What was it like to interact with them? Some came all the time. Some, you know, it was just a series of nannies who would, you know, drop off the children. But I think that's, you know, if I were to work in New York City in an upper class kindergarten, it probably would be very similar. So no judgment there. Um, but the parents, some, you know, had made great sacrifices so their children could, could go to a school where they could learn English. And they saw that as, you know, an entree into bigger and better things. And, uh, you know, but they... You know, like people everywhere. I learned this when I was 24, I moved to Israel. And I think the, the thing that I learned most of all, I lived there for three years and um, worked with both Israelis and Palestinians. And what I would say what is, I learned that people are more alike than different. People want the same things in life. The th same things motivate me in my suburban Virginia home that motivate a Palestinian woman in Gaza City. Same stuff. Same um, stuff. That's an important lesson to take everywhere in life. You know, I think everyone should learn that lesson that we're more alike than different. And um, that that may be actually good national security policy. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. I, you know, I mean, because I think you can always find common ground. You can always find something. You know, when you're trying to to talk to someone, and you know, you're trying to. You know, what do we do? We mirror, we find common ground, we find something common that we can discuss together and go from there. And that's just a really good way to build rapport, um, but also learn about, you know, what motivates people. And again, I think you'll find that people are generally motivated by the same things. Hopefully and, they're good things, but. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they're bad things like greed. Sometimes they're bad things like um, jealousy that motivates people, mm -hmm. but also mm -hmm. a lot of yeah. times it's baking. Like you could just sit down yeah. and sit with anybody anywhere. Like somebody's grandma, mm -hmm. they have a memory of growing up in their kitchens, whether it was positive or negative, it's influenced the way they act as adults. And mm -hmm. this here in front of me and is a memory of my childhood, which is my mother mm -hmm. baked very rarely. And if you speak to my older brothers, they'd say, my mother's greatest baking skill was defrosting Sarah Lee. <laughs> and well, she was very- important. It's, hey, it's a great skill. And also, I just had a memory of the Sara Lee pecan um, coffee cake that you would heat up in the oven. <laughs> Were you ever blessed with that in your house as a kid? Yes, um, I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my mom had in her cookbook, like, you know, her own personal cookbook, nice. typed out recipe for these blonde brownies that she must have gotten from someone she worked with in the 60s, right? Because it's beautifully typed on a typewriter. And um, oh, I love it. And they still spell blonde with it without an E, which I think was kind of the trend then, if you want to talk about the mm -hmm. etymology of the spelling of blonde and Benjamin <laughs> Dreher, if you're listening to me, I'm sorry. Um, and I've only amended this recipe by being fancy and browning the butter. So 
it's basically like a big chewy chocolate chip cookie. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. My family is as well. Um, but you know, going back to the the you know the analogy of, of people, um, you know, the same things motivating them. I it's the, a shared meal. The idea of preparing a meal and hospitality is so important. And even you know, Russians on the street might be a little brusque, but when you're in their home, Israelis are kind of the same way, to be honest. Not Palestinians, but um, you know, Native Israelis. You know, like once you're in their home, all bets are off, and everyone, you know, it's amazing hospitality. It's you know, a, just showing that love and affection for someone by doing something for them, and um, I, I, I think you can often see what motivates someone in their every, home. Every time I have someone, well, you remember when you used to have people to your house? in the old yes, days yes. yeah vaguely yeah, yeah. Yes. um I would I always would be very aware of something that I'd um I'd talk to a friend who'd grown up in Israel and he's like no one ever came to my parents house without there being a dish of dried apricots dried nuts on the table in front of us there were no matter what I don't care mm -hmm. what time of day or night and it, it makes me think every time some, when someone would come to my house, I must serve them some snack. There must be a snack somewhere yeah. for them to yeah. eat. It seems the only right way to do it. Um, so now the, the great thing about these brownies also is that if you don't eat them all, you can freeze them and you can have them, you know, put them on a platter for someone who, well, if someone ever shows up at your house again, which they might yeah, yeah. more likely now than ever. Um, <laughs> I, we, right. we are to all the listeners out there in um, podcast land, I have a bowl in front of me of light brown sugar and um, I browned the butter, which means that it turned a sort of nutty brown and it gets a deeper flavor. Can you, does it smell very strong to you? This brown butter it does, smell? It does. Yes. I was actually just smelling it. Every time I can smell something, I think, oh great. I don't have COVID. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, so. that's the new standard. If I taste something that's bland, yeah. I'm like, oh God, I've, I think I have COVID. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it just doesn't taste good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that too. But, but it is basically a very, very simple recipe of just um, brown sugar, butter, is, yes. two eggs, and it's a wooden spoon in a bowl recipe. It involves only the minimalist bit of arm, upper arm strength even, which is good because last night I was dragged by my dog because there was a fox on the street and he really wanted oh. to get to meet that fox up close and personal. And my 70 pound dog decided to take my arm with him. But anyway, oh, wow. <laughs> do you have any pets? We have a fox in our, we, yes, we have two dogs and we have a fox in our neighborhood as well. We have a German shepherd, Australian shepherd mix, and we have an older hound dog, greyhound mix. So all the smells and oh. she is much older, but I can always tell when the fox has been in our yard because you know, she is automatically, she's just very motivated to go and smell it. And her nose, even at 13, still gets her in a lot of trouble and takes her a lot of places, although she kind of gets away with it more now than she used to, but. Uh. Uh, <laughs> now you just let her smell. Um, so yeah, I'm, basically. So the sound in the background you hear is me just stirring. So I hope you enjoy this sound, the homey sound of stirring. Um, so once upon a time, you, your husband um, was very happily serving his country. And um, then all of a sudden he was asked to speak at this impeachment hearing and things sort of changed, kind of. Uh, they did, they did. I mean, we were kind of anticipating it, but um, I remember- What was, was the moment? A, uh, it was a Wednesday night, we were lying in bed and 
he got an email that he would be receiving a subpoena, but um, we we kind of suspected it, but not really sure, not really sure what was going on. Um, and still, things still felt sort of normal for a little bit, uh, in a way. He had already reached out was, to an attorney. Was he worried when this all started? Were you worried? Or were you like, oh, well, the mm. life just takes its course? Yes, I was worried. <laughs> uh, I was worried. So the story, I, I said it a couple of times, uh, is... Before that, prior to that, uh, we were laying in bed one night on a Thursday night, and he was like, so did you hear that there was a whistleblower who had a complaint that's gone through um, to Congress? And I was like, eh, yeah, I kind of heard something on NPR. I mean, you know, busy mom, mm-hmm. um, not really, not totally plugged in. Again, national security hobbyist, so not my day job. And I was like, uh, yeah, so what about it? And he was like, well, you know, it's about a phone call to Ukraine and um, it, it was involves the, the July 25th phone call. And then I immediately knew what he was talking about um, only because I knew he had been on that call. And I, I knew it for not because he told me what happened, but just it was like the day before I was leaving for a vacation. And I just, you know, he had to go in early that day. It was- um, And the July 25th call for those of us who have tried our best to block out the Trump presidency as best <laughs> as possible was when Trump called President Zelensky to try and do a little uh, exchange, like maybe you could investigate my friend, Mr. Bri- uh, Biden in exchange. I'll give you some military aid sort of thing. Yes. Well, that he would release the aid that had already been appropriated. by. President. Oh yeah. I mean, sure. So, that's just a detail though. Go on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not important. You know, I remember asking him because he, again, he had to go in early and he was, I was like, oh, how'd it go? And he just kind of dismissed to me. I mean, you know, like, oh, I was okay. You know, I mean, earlier in the, so in April, I believe there had been a, um, he had to go in on a Sunday because the president called President Zelensky when he won the race. So I think, you know, it was, it was sort of more, they had been trying to get a phone call for a while and the phone call hadn't happened. And then Alex just kind of assumed it wasn't going to happen. But at that point, things had moved on. Um, mm-hmm. Ostensibly, he called because, I don't know, he had won parliamentary, his party had won parliamentary elections or something. But, but anyway, so Alex tells me that about the phone call. I ended up laying in bed. Oh, he said, and by the way, can you check out my professional liability insurance tomorrow? <laughs> that's always a nice thing. Good night, honey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what he did. And he went right to sleep. And that was awesome. And I stayed awake all night. And uh, which always makes things better. I yeah. think, you know, not having sleep and worrying about things uh, at night is really the way to go. So, yeah, because then the, the next uh, day, everything seems that much more doable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whenever you haven't had any sleep at all. Um, so I checked on the liability insurance. And then, you know, then things just continue to escalate. The, 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 the story continued to gain steam. It continued to move on. And then um, Alex at the end of September, he took off a week. Again, you commented on my kitchen. My kitchen is a, a new kitchen because we had a massive dishwasher leak for about six months that we weren't aware of. So um, that so he took off a week at the end of September. We were working with the contractors because this had been going on since June and we just wanted to get it done. So he was home. He also was feeling a little pushed out. He hadn't been um, invited to the UN General Assembly, which is pretty rare because the president was going to meet with President Zelensky. And I remember we were 
everything seems to go back to me being a Girl Scout leader, but we were laminating, like it was the first Girl Scout meeting. I was going to give him these certificates. So we're watching on CNN, President Trump meet President Zelensky. And I was you, like, you're, you have a daughter, I, which is why you're a Girl Scout Yeah, we leader. have a daughter. Yes, yes. So <laughs> she's 10. It was just, I guess she was eight at the time. And so we're sitting here and I was like, he was helping me laminate. And I said, do you think maybe things aren't going so well because you're sitting here laminating Girl Scout certificates? <laughs> and you're the director for Ukraine for the National Security Council, and you're not there at that meeting. And um, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm really like I can't believe he stays married to me. But you know, I was like, you know, and and I think he was just starting. You know, like he was kind of he's a very optimistic person, so he was just sort of this like we'll wait and see. You know, maybe it's going to be okay. And I think he will say, and this he said this a couple times, like the idea of when he reported it was sort of like you really can't do this. He thought they would just go tell him, you, you can't do this, Mr. President. And there would be a course correction and life would go back to normal. I mean, I oh. think well, he, he was, was optimistic. Was, <laughs> yeah, and naive maybe, yeah. But um, anyway, so he, things, you know, continue to gain. So we went to a family wedding. We got back on Erev Rosh Hashanah and uh, there was a reporter at our house. Hi, Greg Miller. And... Um, <laughs> And then it was, you know, from then on, we were concerned, but he got the subpoena, he prepared for the testimony. And, and I mean, there was even this discussion of maybe your testimony is not going to be that big of a deal. Should I go with you into DC tomorrow? Or should I just stay home? Because it was like, maybe he's going to be done before lunch. And, you know, it was not going to be other people had testified. Maybe what he had to say wasn't going to be that big of a deal. Everything was going to be fine. We decided that I would go in with him. I hung out at a friend's house while he testified, but, you know, uh, and this is another story that's been told, uh, you know, many times, but uh, we were at a Girl Scout event when his opening statement was released to Hipsy, was then released to the media. And by the time we got home, our phones were blowing up and everyone was, you know, and, and we had no idea that his story would resonate so much with people with both sides. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I woke up to a whole lot of messages on Facebook and other social media that, you know, were your husband's a traitor. He's, you know, I mean, lots of stuff like that. I mean, lots of support as well from friends, but lots of, you know, strangers like reaching out to me. And, um, that's, I think the moment that we're like, okay, this is real. And our lives are changed forever. And right. That was my question. Like, do you realize at that moment, like your life goes from lovely, I mean, as public as you get as Girl Scout leader to yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when your husband is home laminating with you, whether he should have been or not is irrelevant, but that's a nice family <laughs> moment. Right. And suddenly you go from this like private to public. Did you have a sense of how big it would get? knowing that like Twitter blows everything out of proportion obscenely? I still didn't really know. I mean, I would still say I, I still don't know in a lot of ways, but you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the end result is going to be for us, but I'm um, at every step of the way. It's been bigger than I thought if, if I can, if that makes sense. You had told me that your, um, you had like your daughter's birthday was shortly thereafter. That was actually, no, it was, uh, so that was after he was fired from the National Security Council. So he had his private testimony in October. He had his, or his closed door, you know, he has public testimony in November. Then, you know, we had Thanksgiving, winter holidays. And then the day after 
um, the president was acquitted by the Senate um, late that night on a Thursday night. Everything happens at night. I don't understand. And we got a call that, or they'd reached out to his attorney and said that he was going to be fired the next day. And um, so it was like frenzied getting a, a statement made. And yeah, so then on Friday, he worked all day. And then at the end of the day, they fired him. And I actually, his brother, for those of you who don't know, his brother worked across the hall. He is an attorney, also in the military. And they fired him as well. And I did not know that. I actually didn't know that until they like showed up together at home. Because I guess they were on the phone on the way home. And, and then I was like, oh, wait, Eugene got fired also? And um, and then the, the next day was our daughter's birthday party. We were having a cake decorating, speaking of baking, a cake <laughs> decorating party for... 2022 20, little girls and um they went to go get balloons and they walked outside to some press that were at our house and um they were nice and you know they just said could you please leave and you know one of our neighbors talked to them and said could you please leave and they respected it but it was you know we, we can't have this affect our home and our family life or just at least give our daughter like this one thing you know of because who's going to drop off their child at, you know, this house where there are all these people. Um, we had received quite a few letters. We had received, um, you know, some good, some bad to our home mm-hmm. by then. But then there was, um, I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal that he was, that he was fired from the NSC. He was already planning on leaving. We were preparing that he would say he was leaving the NSC and go back to the Pentagon or somewhere. And I just kind of thought it would be a non-event, but it wasn't. And our, in the forward, which is a Jewish uh, on uh, website online, they published the na- an article in the name of our synagogue and our address, the address of the synagogue. And we got thousands, like tens of thousands of letters. They're still in my dining room. I'm just going to be honest. And, um, you know, so many letters, so much support and lots of donations made in Alex's name to our synagogue. And we just weren't expecting it. Like one time they told me, oh, you have some letters to pick up. Can you come pick them up? And it was just boxes and boxes and boxes of letters they still receive them I mean you know they still trickle in we were not prepared for that we had no idea so that's what I say at every stage it's bigger it just is it's different than what I think it's going to be so and what 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 were the letters do you know what some of the letters said we read every letter of everyone both of us the two I mean there's a lot of immigrants who tell a great immigrant story or a refugee story um there's a lot that you know talk about um him being Jewish and just representing, I mean, let's be honest, there were a lot of Jewish people involved in on both sides. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so there's expressed those issues. Uh, but the number one thing that they talk about is moral courage. And just thank you for being someone that we can look up to. And I just, you know, I was so moved by what happened to you. And I, and, and a lots, lots of emotion. Like when I heard you were walked out of the white house and I mean that again, that's something that I wasn't totally prepared for. I did not think that, I think it was just a bridge too far. Like people had seen everything that Donald Trump had done and they were, you know, just, just couldn't believe that yet another thing, yet another slap. And for a party who purports to support the military and, you know, but, but just yesterday, maybe you saw on Twitter, someone said, you know, I can't believe your husband, he should have his pension taken away because of the Hiss Act. I, I, I assume it's Alder Hiss. I didn't look it up. I don't care. 
but I retweeted it and I was like, oh, guess what? He doesn't, he gets it every month. So I hope this really bothers you. But <laughs> also there were, there were, you know, Marissa, there were so many times when I let it bother me mm. and it bothered me so much. And so many, like there was one particularly bad weekend after his, his private testimony. And I just decided at some point, you're not going to get to me anymore. I mean, it, it wasn't then it was, it was quite a while after that after the Marsha Blackburn tweets, after other stuff. But then I was like, you're not, you're, I am not, there's a place in me that you're not going to get to because you're not worth it. And that takes such um, strength. Yeah. I mean, because you know, but it was this thing I remember discussing, talking to a friend of mine, she's a nurse. And I said, I, even last summer, there would be a couple times a week. And I said, I, I just, I feel like I'm shivering, but it's summer in Virginia where no one shivers. And she was like, that's adrenaline. And there was just always something and it was always something upsetting. And I realized, oh my gosh, she's right. That's an adrenaline response. And after that, you know, he had made the decision to retire. I just don't want them to bother me. So what part of what I said in my tweet is, I don't care. I don't care anymore. Say all the things, say he's a traitor, say he should be, uh, all I know is, you know, Matt Gates had his phone confiscated and looked through and Alex never did. So. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, or, you know, any number of people, if there was a problem, they would have found it and they would have prosecuted it. I mean, this is just silly, silly, silly stuff. They can say it all they want. They can wish things were true, but it's not the case. And you're not going to get to me. You know, I think one of the reasons that this whole event got to the, a lot of average folks who sent you loving letters is because when your husband spoke was willing to speak out, we finally all had this like a collective feeling of, thank God, someone in some sort of position of power is finally speaking truth to this event. And we all knew this was possible. And we all had this, I think, if I said, let me speak for the nation or the people (laughs) who wrote those letters and say that I think we all had this collective feeling of, thank goodness, this is fine. Like what I've been hoping would happen, that someone would speak the truth to this is finally doing it. And then he got slapped in the face and then he got fired for it. And that's the part where we all just felt crushed. You know, it was all, we all lived and breathed along with him because he was doing what we wanted, what we hoped to have done. And then what was the result? Oh, you know, so I understand why people wrote those letters. We all felt very entwined in that moment. Well, I mean, I I will tell you that Alex is much better at communication than I am, but he tried to respond to every LinkedIn message, to every Facebook message, to um, on his military account before he retired. He made a point to respond to every person who wished him well. Um, There were some that didn't wish him well, but uh, he didn't respond to them, but he responded to everyone else. And he, you know, we, we I will admit we haven't addressed writing back to the people who sent the letters because it's it's just a much more monumental job, but it's easier electronically. But, but she's he, read them. She loves you. Know, <laughs> oh, I, I, 100%. Mm-hmm. All of that buoyed us. It, it, it showed us in that dark weekend after there were, there were a lot of data points um, that kind of led to that moment, the weekend after his closed door testimony. But what was hardest was just feeling alone and not knowing how people felt. But then we started to, you know, then, then things changed. And I remember I was at Whole Foods. We were at Whole Foods. Our daughter it was Sunday morning. Our daughter was at Hebrew school. And we were 
there and you know there were not masks then and this woman walked up and she was very nervous and very anxious she was kind of shaking and she said so sweetly I don't know which twin you are which was like the most amazing opening line because Alex's brother he has an identical twin and and she was like thank you thank you thank you thank you what you did was so brave she was a new immigrant she had just moved from Serbia and bless her heart. She had to explain to us where Serbia was. Cause I'm sure that's the default thing of like, Aww. it used to be part of Yugoslavia. And we're like, we're, we're good. We know where Serbia is. Thanks. <laughs> but um, you know, but I think that's something she always does. Yes. Probably again, by default, like what's Serbia. <laughs> and it was so kind because it, it clearly, she was out of her comfort zone, but she felt compelled to say something. And I think about that all the time. Would I say something? I mean, this happens Again, there's masks, but people recognize them and they say, are you Lieutenant Colonel Vinman? And, um, you know, it's, I, I would just probably never go up to someone and say it. And I'm a pretty outgoing person, but I love that they feel like they need to. It means so much to us. I mean, it's just, I don't have the words to say how much it means to us, but the support that we receive from the American people are really what, what has gotten us through um, the past 18 months. That's the, you know, that's the positive message in all of this, because I think so many of us mm -hmm. have been trying to, um, like I said, blot the memory of that man as president and what all happened. But, you know, so it, it makes it harder to talk to a person like you, who I know whose life has been so impacted by, I mean, all our lives are impacted by him, but yours, you know, down to visits to the whole food and your husband now has, yeah. you know, is writing his memoirs and is not, is no longer in the army or with the Pentagon. Well, let me ask the more important question. What's it like to be married to a twin? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I didn't even meet his brother for quite a while and we never lived near them until they moved here. They live like three doors down. Sometimes it's a little bit weird. And I feel like I have almost a sibling relationship with him as well. And he really gets on my nerves sometimes. And I know I get on his nerves as well. And likewise, his wife has the same relationship. She's known Alex since college. They all went to college together. So I'm the, you know, new entry. But um, it's, they're very different people and yet very similar. So, um, but, you know, sometimes I'll enlist him if I'm really trying to convince Alex of something and he will help me. Or sometimes they'll say, I can't get through to him. You try to get through to him. But um, it's, uh, it's a unique experience. But I can definitely tell them apart for everyone who always asks that question. And I've always been able to because they, but their baby pictures, I mean, and just going through, like for his book, going through their child pictures, they kept the people at Harper were like, well, who's who? I'm like, we don't know. Your husband is writing a yeah. book now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and when is it? Um, it's actually when... under, uh, this is a sticky situation. Do you do marriage counseling, Marissa? Um, sure, I'm very so, good at that. That's what food yeah. is about. As long as he likes what You're we right. yeah. can talk <laughs> about anything. It's true. Uh, this is definitely part of my calculus for today. So, you know, not, not to get too much into it, but it's under review. So it has to be under review for the military because he did have a security clearance. So they have to make sure that, you know, I don't think anyone writes a book thinking, oh, I have secure information. Like, you know, but, you know, inevitably there might be things that the government objects to. So we're going through that process. It's taken a lot longer than we thought. So now we're thinking, we're just wondering if we're going to have to push back the publication date and what that looks like. So um, there were, you know, there have been words exchanged uh, yesterday and today about uh, we have different approaches to it, but hmm, hashtag marriage. So we'll get there. But, you know, I think it's, 
it, it feels very much, I'll tell you, like, um, I just want to be done with the government. <laughs> like, will you just let me go on my merry way and I'll let you and no hard feelings. And can we just all go on and live our lives? And so every time I think that's done, it's not. And there's one more step. Um, so that's sort of like you're divorcing. You're sort of like divorcing the government in your own way. Mm-hmm. Every time yes, you think yes, it's but there's done. one more hearing. <laughs> Uh, I've never been divorced, but I feel like, oh, we just have to have one more thing to hash out this one more a detail. And that's where we are. So yeah, but I don't, I don't know how that's going to affect, but it'll be sometime this summer, likely um, June, uh, June, hopefully. But um, yeah, you know, it's a, uh, I haven't read all the book. I've read some of the more person, the personal parts of it, but um, nothing that even mentions the military or to touch on classified information, but it's an immigrant story is what it is. And it's a, beautiful story. Um, It's also the story of so many people in our country. And I think this is the time when we need to really be reminded of what the United States stands for and how it's different, why people come here, what the experience and opportunity is like. And I think it does a beautiful job of, of telling that story. And get a little emotional talking about it. But um, again, that that was such a theme in all the letters in my dining room is who are we and who do we want to be? And the United States is always changing. Um, uh-huh. You know, we're always growing and changing, but every generation has to kind of define that is what do we want to do? And the one thing who do that's we want to consi- be, right. Who do we want to be? And one of the consistent notes in all of it is immigration and that we all, mm-hmm. you know, new waves of immigrants are coming into this country mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. with the same goal whether you believe that or not, you know, there are people out there who don't, but all immigrants have the same goal, which goes back to your point of all people under the, you know, when it's all said and done, have the same goals, right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. To provide for their families, to live, you know, all just the same, same stuff. Nothing new under the sun. mm -mm. My father was an immigrant to this country and um, he used to get mad at people who would complain about paying taxes. Because to him, it was the greatest thing in the world. I'm paying taxes to live in this country. It gives us the greatest army that pays for the roads. It makes America what it is. So and speaking, this is being recorded on April 15th, which in the olden days before yes, COVID yes. was tax day. So, it, <laughs> so I know it's a pain, but it's worth it in the end because you get a lot of good stuff for it that you don't necessarily get in other countries. But you- No, you, I, I totally agree. You- um, Am I right in thinking you helped write the open to your husband's speech before Congress? Mm-hmm. And for yeah. what reason? I think that's the, you wanted to show him enough for who he really was before the world jumped on him. I have a couple of good friends who are actually very talented writers. Um, we called, uh, I was like, oh, we have the Suburban Moms Writing Guild um, helping. So one of my uh, friend, she was a neighbor. She uh, was local community college uh, English professor, but also just you know very talented. Another friend of mine who is a more professional writer, and she was saying, I remember one of her comments. She was like, "I was just reviewing the opening statements for um, Das Kent, so Deputy Se- Assistant Secretary George Kent and um, Ambassador Taylor William Taylor," and she was like, "They're great and they're moving." But these people might have, you know, come over on the Mayflower. And, you know, Alex's story is so different than that. 
And, um, you know, we need to tell that story about who he is and what he is and, you know, all of that together. And I thought that was just such a, a beautiful thing. So she gave me some talking points and, um, you know, or kind of an outline. We filled it in, Alex filled it in and his attorneys, you know, looked over it as well. But it was about introducing him and how he came to be in that position. That was another thing. He kind of wanted to explain why he was a lieutenant colonel working at the White House. And I still think there's a lot of people who didn't understand that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're like, why is a lieutenant colonel telling the commander in chief what to do? And it just would, that was a narrative that caught fire from people who were too lazy to, to really like just read the whole story, you know, or, or learn the whole story. But you, you, you explained his journey as an immigrant in the open. And I think mm -hmm. that's what really just warmed so many of us up to him and reminded us just how special it was that he was doing what he was doing, right? That he'd made it to the, that level. You um, have been part of a, we have to like wrap up a little bit right now and I have to get my yeah. dough in the oven. Have you added the chocolate yeah, chip? Yeah, me yet? too. Um, I have, yes, I did. Yeah. I hope you didn't Remind measure them. Extra. It, yeah, exactly. Because in my, I think who anybody who measures chocolate chips and who <laughs> just thinks a bag of chocolate chips is what you put in an average, I don't know. Though I have, I have a daughter who I will admit to the public um, doesn't actually like the chocolate chips so much. She prefers the cookie part. Mm. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe um, it's the salt. Yeah, I think she likes that part of it. Um, anyway, I'll put these in the oven. They bake for a while. They bake up really chewy and delicious, but that's not the note I want to end on. I want to end on a okay. project that I have seen you sort of involved, like, I don't know if you're involved with it, but this something called, if you'll pardon the expression, the tiny pricks project. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Can you explain to what the tiny pricks project is? <laughs> uh, as best I can. Um, and I, I'm sorry, Diana, I don't know her last name. I would have looked it up. I mean, I, I, I know, but I don't know off the top of my head. But she, uh, you know, receives submissions of people. They will, you know, stitch a quote. Sometimes it's a good quote. Sometimes it's just a ridiculous quote just mm -hmm. to kind of illustrate it. But you see it not in print, but kind of animated, if you will, or, you know, on a piece of art. And it, it gives you a different perspective when you see it like that. And she's just incredible. I think it's another medium of reaching people. And again, in a different way, you're not hearing it. You're not just reading it. You are seeing it uh, kind of at highlight. It's like a, a political cartoon almost, but it's embroidered. Um, and I love it. And it's, you know, it's perfect for the world of Instagram. And she mm -hmm. used um, what I think was called your favorite poem by Shel Silverstein. And yes. I, I don't yes. expect you to have it memorized, but I, I'm just going to read the last two lines because it just sort of speaks to, mm -hmm. it sort of wraps up this whole thing perfectly because it is about people being universally the same, which is how much love inside a friend depends how much you give them. And I think that's a, why did you pick that? When did you first hear that poem? Well, I've been a Shel Silverstein uh, fan all my life. So I don't know when I first heard it, but my daughter and I like to read poetry, you know, Poetry is, is uh, just the arts in general are very popular in Slavic culture. So, um, you know, while my husband might quote uh, Russian poets, but uh, my daughter and I, you know, we're more Shel Silverstein, that's mm -hmm. our, our jam. But I like to read it with her and that's uh, just always been one of our favorite poems. But, uh, you know, you get out of life what you put into it. 
I mean, you get out of life what you put into it, but out of yourself, you know, so if you feed the negative and the hateful and you buy into that, then that's what you're going to live every day. And I certainly don't have it all figured out. I would hate to give that impression, (laughs) but um, I do think in life, everything you go through, keep starting over, keep, keep trying. And as long as you're here, keep making a difference the best way you know how. So maybe I came to this position in an unfortunate way and Alex did as well. And I know at times he regrets not working in government anymore, but he's, you know, finding a path that he can still help and serve his country um, and the country that gave him refuge and welcomed his family from authoritarianism. So whatever voice that he has right now to give that back to the world, um, to the country as, uh, you know, he's happy to do so. And me, I will give you all snark and I won't charge anyone. (laughs) Free snark. Um, the The truth is you were elevated to this position unwillingly and yet you're able to like send this very positive message to the rest of us schlubs out here. And I really, I appreciate it. And the snark just adds a little, you know, that's special. (laughs) Yeah. It was like a frustrated housewife, but I, you know, we all have opportunities. I don't, and I just think if we have a chance to make someone smile or brighten someone's day or do something good, we should. So I'll, I guess I'll share my brownies with my neighbors then. Yeah. <laughs> share with Cindy, actually, Cindy and Eugene. He he just uh, actually had some dental work yesterday. I don't think he's doing well. So um, oh. I'm going to, that was, I, I actually haven't even told him, but I'm going to take half of them to their house. Also, that means half of them are not in our house and that's good. <laughs> and they're Win-win. So, and, they're, and if you cook them to about 25 to 30 minutes, they'll be soft and very gentle for him. Yes, I did. I did think of that. That that would be a nice thing after uh, his tooth extraction. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, thank you very, very much for being here. And please keep sharing snark and good thoughts with us all. (laughs) I will. Thank you so much for having me, Marissa. Thank you very, very much. See you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Rachel Vindman for this week's show. For the recipe for blonde brownies, please go to marissarothkopf.com. Thank you for listening through to the desperate plea portion of the podcast where I ask you to follow me on Twitter so I can build my platform and publishers everywhere will want to publish my book on the history of the American kitchen. Also, please like this podcast on Apple and bake cookies for your neighbor. Thank you.